Hello and welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast. This week we're reading 2 Samuel chapters 5 through 12 and 1 Kings chapters 3 through 11. There are a lot of great stories and lessons to cover this week. Too much to fit in this podcast. So I'd like to look at one part of David's story and the lesson that we can learn from it to change and improve our lives. So far, David has been an amazing king leading his armies into many nations and conquering with the strength of the Lord. Until he makes a grave mistake. Starting in 2 Samuel chapter 11, And it came to pass that, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all Israel. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Now why would he stay home from the battle? Perhaps he was tired, maybe feeling the effects of many years of war, or perhaps the adversary tempted him to stay. Just this one time. He has a lot to do in the palace, projects to complete, children to spend time with, eight wives to care for. Plus, the palace would be much more comfortable than sleeping in a tent in the battlefield. But maybe, just maybe, he had a thought, a small impression, that he ignored, that said to him, David, you should be with your men. Go and be where you need to be. But his mind rationalized that prompting away. I'll just stay here, he determined. So he did. And because he did, he couldn't sleep. It was bothering him that he didn't listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. So one night he goes onto the roof and sees a woman washing herself. Then this one misstep of ignoring the Holy Spirit starts the slippery slope to massive sin. As we look at what happens next, look for the progression. Look how he doesn't stop and recognize what was going on. Repent and return to what he knows to be right. One little snare from the adversary he could have easily recovered from, but he doesn't turn, he doesn't repent, and it sends him spiraling into despair. He sees a woman, he decides to invite her to the palace, one more step, then they have an affair, she gets pregnant, and I know, I know, we go to bad mistakes fast, and you might be saying, David's a bad guy. We don't like him. Well, why? This is the same guy that killed Goliath. The scriptures tell us he was a man after God's own heart. This is a good man. He just slipped up. But instead of recognizing his mistakes, he keeps trying to cover them up or ignore that they even happened. Next, he brings Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, back from battle to be with his wife. He refuses twice. So David has no choice but to send him back to war and put him on the front lines knowing he will be killed. Now, I say he had no choice, but he did. He could have confessed what he did and repent, but he was too deep now. I'm sure he felt there was no turning back, and he would have been wrong. There is always a way back. We can stop at any point and change the course. It is the adversary that tells us we can't. It's too late, and there's no hope. 
These are all lies. Now, as you know, the rest of the story, Uriah dies and Bathsheba mourns him for a bit. Then David sends for her and takes her to wife. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Now take a second and ponder that phrase. This is why sin is so expensive. If anyone finds out or not, sin is expensive because it offends a holy God. That is what sin is after all. God is God, and he is the one that calls it sin. And because it offends God, it will have other ramifications as well. But this is primarily why it is so damaging. When David gets caught, he will write two psalms. The first is in Psalms 51, verse 4. David says, Against thee, only thee, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou might be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Skip Heitzigs tells a story of a man that was in the mall with his wife. And while she was shopping, looking at things, he was tooling around trying not to get too bored, as most men do when their wives drag them to the mall, not really concentrating, not really enjoying the experience. And then a shapely young woman walked by both of them. The man's eyes followed her across the store. And when she exited the store, the wife that did not look up from the merchandise she was examining, but could see from the periphery, said to her husband, Well, was it worth the trouble you're now in? Is sin ever worth the trouble you get in with God? The feeling of emptiness, the distance from God, the misery? Chapter 12 continues that saga. What you may not know is that between chapter 11 and chapter 12 is a period of about one year. And David is miserable. The weight of his sin is bearing down on him. But he doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't confess or repent. He just goes on as if nothing's happened. We know this because in Psalms chapter 32 verse 3 he says, When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. This is how sin makes us feel. Weak, tired, groaning. And David's no different. The Lord is waiting on David to repent and return. But he doesn't. So God sends that prophet Nathan to confront him. And he tells him a parable. He says, There's two men in one city, one rich man and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds. But the poor man had nothing, save one little lamb, which he bought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and laid in his bosom. It was as unto him as a daughter. He loved this little lamb. And there was a traveler came unto the rich man, and he did not take of his own flock and his own herds to feed the traveling man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and slaughtered it for the man that was come unto him. David hears this story and he's furious. 
it says that his anger was greatly kindled against the man. And as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, and restore to the poor man fourfold. Knowing the story really got David worked up and struck him right at the heart because he at one time was a poor shepherd. Nathan gets right in his face. And I can just picture the old prophet poking David right in the chest while he says these four words that reveals David's sin. Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives into thy bosom. I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given thee much more. David is finally willing to confess his sins. And he does to the prophet Nathan. Verse 13, And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against God. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord hath put away thy sin. God forgives you. However, the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. This brings up an important point. Forgiveness is one thing. Consequences are another. God is a just God, but also a merciful God. We can be forgiven, however, that is an important word, however, the effects of our sin will not always be taken away. But it's still worth it. No matter what we have done, no matter how bad we have sinned, God is still ready and able to forgive our sins. Here, David does the worst two things a human could possibly do, adultery and murder, back to back. And God quickly forgave him. Brad Wilcox, in the October 21 General Conference, gave a talk called, Worthiness is Not Flawlessness. He tells a story of a young man. He says, One young man, all called Damon, wrote, Growing up, I struggled with pornography. I always felt so ashamed that I could not get things right. Each time Damon slipped, the pain of regret became so intense, he harshly judged himself to be unworthy of any kind of grace, forgiveness, or additional chances from God. He said, I decided I just deserved to feel terrible all the time. I figured God probably hated me because I wasn't willing to work harder and get on top of this once and for all. I would go a week, sometimes even a month, but then I would relapse and think, I'll never be good enough, so there's no use in trying. At one such low moment, Damon said to his priesthood leader, Maybe I should just stop coming to church. I'm sick of being a hypocrite. His leader responded, You're not a hypocrite because you have a bad habit that you're trying to break. You are a hypocrite if you try to hide it, lie about it, or try to convince yourself the church has the problem for maintaining such high standards. Being honest about your actions and taking steps to move forward is not being a hypocrite. It's being a disciple. This leader quoted Elder Richard G. Scott, who taught, 
The Lord sees weakness differently than he does rebellion. When the Lord speaks of weakness, it's always with mercy. That perspective gave Damon hope. He realized that God was not up there saying, Damon blew it again. Instead, he was probably saying, look how far Damon has come. This young man finally stopped looking down in shame or looking sideways for excuses and rationalizations. And he looked up for divine help. And he found it. Damon said, the only time I turned to God in the past was to ask for forgiveness. But now I also ask for grace, his enabling power. I had never done that before. These days I spend a lot less time hating myself for what I have done and a lot more time loving Jesus for what he has done. I know that David's pain did not have to be so long and so deep. I know that wherever you are on your path, you have a choice to forsake whatever it is that's holding you back, and God is waiting with open arms to welcome you into his love and safety. I know that however far you feel you have fallen, you are not too far for God to snatch you from the depths of despair and misery. I know that he is the true source of real joy and real peace. I know that any bonds the adversary currently has you snared with, those bonds can be broken and that you can be free from the pain he wants for you. Pray to your merciful God. Plead with him. Run to him. For his love is like nothing you have ever experienced. Of this great truth I testify, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.